Thanks. Um, okay, well, uh, I'm just watching a couple of Baptists with the back row full. They don't know what to do, and they're like, oh, we can't go to the front. So, so, uh, <laughs> so good morning. <laughs> okay, so our text uh, this morning, we are in Mark. Uh, and I have to say, Joel's in here, right? Did I just No, he left. Oh, there he is. Uh, so, I, Joel, you probably organized these texts for us to teach. And I look at these two stories <clears throat> and read them. And I thought, these have nothing to do with each other. They are not alike at all. And, uh, and of course, as I dug into it, I found that they're really two sides to the same coin. Or they just fit perfectly together. And Joel is brilliant. So, just make a note of that. Uh, I will read uh, starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." And those who had seen it described to them what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends 
and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So uh, there's a text. Feels uh, felt like a lot of reading there, but uh, wouldn't, would you believe Mark so far, who has uh, not been, uh, let's say, uh, overly loquacious with his words, he hasn't used too many of them, gives us the best account of of these two scenes uh, of all of the uh, Gospels. So Mark uh, digs in and gives us a lot of detail, and uh, frankly, it's, um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to, uh, to pull this apart. So does, does anyone remember like, the theme? We've, we've talked about it. I don't, I don't know if we've talked about it enough, but the theme for the book of Mark, oh, instant A in the class today, and, and A for the entire semester, if you can tell me the theme of Mark, generally. Anyone? <clears throat> okay, so we need to do a little better, right? Um, <clears throat> so the, so the, the book of March, Mark uh, tells us who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him, right? Uh, in, in our first lesson, I talked about the uh, sort of keystone verse in 1045, you know, that uh, that talks about who he is, the Son of Man, and what he's done. He's come to, uh, to serve, not to be served, but to serve, right? And, uh, and that, kind of, that colors the entire um, book. And this morning, our theme touches both of the, uh, of the pieces of Mark's theme, who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him. So we see that Jesus has God's authority. We're going to see that this morning, and that we need to trust him. And so those are the, the two things. And I, I came up with like 11 different titles for this. I've, I was wrestling even last night and even on the way to, into uh, church this morning, what title you guys were going to get. And you got a very general title, uh, The Tale of Two Storms. But Jesus has God's authority over his creation. And so we're going we're gonna to see that this morning. But when I first read this, I, um, I've, got, uh, I've got a study Bible, right? And uh, R.C. Sproul has his fingerprints all over this. And I read his notes and uh, he didn't tell me what I was looking for, but he does explain the storm setup, if you will, and uh, he says that the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. So it's low, creates a depression, and it's about 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. Uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty hefty, that cruising across with uh, manpower um, uh, like, uh, like we see in the story. At its southern end is a deep cliff-lined valley, and, uh, and of course there's uh, hills on the on on uh, at least two of those sides, and so the wind will funnel in from the surrounding hills, and you'll have cold air up top in the mountain type area, mixing with the hot air, and uh, and it it's uh, common for uh, a storm to really whip up and whip the lake into this uh, this violent uh, tempest, and uh, and so this is what happens. We see a uh, a, a, a real squall. It's, it's quite a storm. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And the boats, uh, a boat was found 
uh, in, um, you know, a, a sunken boat was found in the, the bottom of Galilee. And these are pretty hefty boats. This isn't a, a little, um, you know, uh, life raft type, type of thing. It's uh, the length of the boat is about the width of our, our room. And it's set up with, uh, with two sets of oars on each side of the boat. So you'd have four guys rowing. And because Galilee, um, which is, you know, a lake, it's really a, you know, it's, it's a massive lake. It's a sea, like our Lake Superior, if you will. The boat has a really deep hull, you know, so, so it provides some stability in this. So, so this, is a, this is a big thing. And there is a flotilla of these. Uh, it, one of the things I, I noted almost right away, um, and I hadn't ever noticed in my reading, was that there's a, a group of boats go with him. It's not just, uh, you know, the 12 or something like that. There's a, there is an armada cruising across the uh, Sea of Galilee when, uh, when all of this goes down. So, so in our first half here, our first side of the corn, coin, we, uh, we get a flotilla of fear, right? And, uh, and demonstrated in the story is uh, first that Jesus is working in our circumstances. I wonder if you ever uh, heard, I, I haven't heard this recently, but it, maybe in the 90s and in the 2000s when you were uh, getting advice from a friend or something like that, you might hear the phrase, trust the process. Remember, like, hey, I'm doing this, but I haven't seen the results. And someone says, don't worry, trust the process. And we're going we're gonna to see that uh, quite a bit. So uh, we're going to start, though, with a very difficult question to ask. In verse 35, whose fault is it that they're in the storm? What does it uh, say there in first? Who's the instigator? It's Jesus. This is his idea. His idea. Hey, let's let's uh, head out across the Sea of Galilee. He's been teaching all day. We we heard the the teaching, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. We we got uh, we got the kingdom parables. He's been te- it's the end of the day, and their idea is to row what thirteen miles or or so. Uh, just to finish up the night, right? And Jesus is tired. He's been working all day and, uh, and uh, you know, takes a snooze in the back of the boat, right? But he's the instigator. He orchestrates an event in the life of his followers. He does this to grow their faith in the one that they should already trust. They've been with him a little while. Um, <clears throat> what is interesting is... Uh, Jesus is at peace, right? He is, uh, he, he is just fine to curl up on the cushion in the back of the boat and take a, take a snooze as we sort of, you know, row into the, uh, the dark uh, of, of the evening. He trusts his father. He trusts uh, God here. And so he goes to sleep and he's not even roused by the storm. So this, uh, this isn't a story about Jesus getting you through the storms of life. He does that, of course, but that's not the uh, lesson here. We need to know that God is sovereign. We need to know that he has the power, but we also need to have faith 
in him. So we will see all, we'll see through this, everybody we meet in these situations uh, knows at some point that Jesus is God's son, but the faith is the thing here. And so, uh, and so what does that look like? Well, here it looks like Jesus is God, but does he love me? Will he take care of me? And this is a terrible storm, and it's a trial, a test of their faith. It is an impossible situation, and there is no way out, humanly speaking. So in 37, verse 37, they cry out, Teacher, do you care that we are dying? Um, I love Psalms. We went through Psalms uh, uh, recently, I just have to read this to you because Jesus fulfills the Psalms. And uh, this is Psalm 44, and uh, it's called Come to Our Help, okay? And in verse 23 through uh, uh, 26, it says, Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. And he fulfills that prayer right here. And he, uh, he awakens with a stern response, you might say. Jesus shows us, my second point, that he has authority over nature and our circumstances because he is God. And so in verse 39, he answers. See how he doesn't speak to his friends until he takes care of business. The first thing is to, uh, to speak to the storm. And uh, an average thunderstorm, I went on a <clears throat> little bunny trail here, has the power of a 40 kiloton nuclear bomb. Like a, an average thunderstorm. It's a there's a lot of power here at work. Look how much power Jesus uses to save his friends. He has saving power, doesn't he? The, the Lord Jesus just wields it with his word. <laughs> Hebrew 1, 3 says, He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he rebukes the sea here. And the, the words uh, as he's sort of muzzling the storm are the same as an exorcism. He exercises the storm from their midst. So who is Jesus? Does he love his followers? Is he a good king who provides for his people? He shows his faithfulness to his people, and he uses this circumstance to show his disciples that Jesus is God with us. Jesus demonstrates this, and what happened? There was a great calm. We see the same modifier. So we get a great storm in verse 37, and a great calm in verse 39. And as great and terrifying as this storm was, was such a great calm. A calm that would have been equally breathtaking. 
So we find ourselves in a new setting, don't we? From the storm to a great calm. Trust the process, right? In verse 40, uh, we see the contrast um, of Jesus with his father in verse 38. In the storm, Jesus is resting. He is right as rain. But the disciples are in panic mode, in great contrast, right? They don't have faith in the one they should trust here. And remember, we just heard the parable of the tiny mustard seed. The smallest of seeds would grow into a huge tree and provide rest for many. Even though he explained it to him that this little movement of disciples would grow into a massive kingdom, they didn't really understand. And so again, Jesus lovingly teaches them about faith. Don't you see I am God and I love you, I care for you? This uh, gets to the core of our relationship with Jesus. We need Jesus. Jesus wants us to trust him. We know that he is God. He is sovereign. Do you have faith? Do you believe that God's way, however, is the best way, the only way for you? Do you trust him with your circumstances? The disciples didn't realize that Jesus was all they needed to survive. The response here of the disciples is a little bit disappointing, right? They've spent a lot of time with him. Who is this guy? And now they're afraid as they realize that he's just saved their lives, right? Like, this guy has a lot of power, you know? <clears throat> and so we must understand, my fourth point, who Jesus is. Verse 40 says the disciples were terrified. The disciples were terrified once again as they start to wrap their minds around the idea that Jesus is God. The disciples have seen Jesus teach and perform miracles. While they're coming to grips with this notion, we have to realize that we cannot say that there's not enough evidence that Jesus is God. Jesus is Christ, the very Son of God. And for us, it should be enough to be with Jesus, whether we are in a storm or everything is smooth sailing. This is contrary to our culture. We, uh, we, we look at God a different way. I'll show you how. So <clears throat> if we're in difficulty, sometimes we'll say that God's judging me, God hates me, something like that. I've heard this my whole life from, from people, uh, saved or unsaved. Uh, if we're in good times, we think, hey, God approves of me, these kinds of things, right? And our relationship with God is based on his relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, uh, so he, isn't, uh, he isn't taking you through a trial because you didn't pray enough last week or you didn't uh, take mom out for Mother's Day. He is using these trials and he's in those circumstances to grow your relationship with Jesus. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> if you want a little help with that, Paul in Philippians 3 
uh, uh, spends time dealing with this this topic that he tells us that we shouldn't judge his care for us or the state of our relationship with him based on our current circumstances. You need to trust the process. Okay. And so, uh, so as we sort of finish our uh, evening at sea, we get to the other side in uh, Mark 5, verses 1 through, 30, uh, through 20. And uh, we find a case, uh, a, a gentleman with a case of the Legion Heirs disease. And uh, we find a guy, <clears throat> uh, he's, he's in a storm, but he's not in a storm because he's a follower of Jesus. He's in a storm because he doesn't have Jesus. And so right off the, the get-go, uh, Jesus confronts Satan's realm. So we get a confrontation uh, with Team Satan. And so uh, as we think about this, before we get into this, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm following this. And, I, and so I just started, I started thinking about how about the original readers of Mark, who early church, they're being persecuted and they're reading uh, uh, these stories or hearing these stories from Mark. And, you know, Jesus' ministry so far is probably not like any of us would have uh, expected or designed, right? So remember, so these are, these are terrible drawings, but <clears throat> Jesus gets baptized here uh, in the Jordan and Jerusalem is right there, right? The most important city in the world at the time, okay? And so what does he do? He goes, he goes east into the wilderness. Conf- uh, he's confronted by Satan. So he's there. And then we get from Mark, like Jesus, oh, you know, Jesus pops up over here in, Caper- in Capernaum and he's doing this stuff. And now we're, you know, now we're over here this morning. And we would have probably just said, okay, now that you're all set, let's go to Jerusalem and get to work. Take charge and really, uh, you know, bring this uh, country back and get our hands on it. But Jesus seems to have sort of a, uh, you know, almost a random walk with approach to his ministry. It even looked like he picked his disciples that way, right? He's Walking along, hey, you, you, drop the nets, come with me, right? It's kind of shocking, right? So <clears throat> I think there's a reason for this. Uh, I think that uh, every step in his ministry is deliberate, but uh, we have to see, I, I think Mark is treating his readers, us, a lot like Jesus treats his disciples from the get-go, and we have to see by faith what Jesus is doing. Uh, Mark wants us uh, to learn to look at Jesus and his actions with kingdom eyes. Uh, like the early witnesses to Jesus, we need to see him through eyes of faith. Ask for his help. Ask for the Holy Spirit to help you see that as, as we, uh, as we um, go through this, this book. So, the setting changes drastically. So we go from the storm to dry land. I'm sure everyone is happy to uh, reach the, the shore, right? And, uh, and we are now in Gentile territory. We are not in the land of God's so-called people, and we are confronted, frankly, by a gruesome scene. 
Uh, this is our, now our, it's at least our third encounter. We, we maybe had four or five uh, demonic encounters so far in Jesus' ministry, right? See how the world is gripped by Satan here. So we might expect it here in the land of Gentiles. These aren't God's people. We, we of course, expect to see uh, demonic activity, but it seems like it's everywhere, right? Every big move that Jesus has, he is kicking out uh, demons and, and so on. So these people, both Gentiles and Israelites, are oppressed, aren't they? The, the Roman occupation of Israel is just a mild reminder of their oppression to sin and Satan. So you get the sense that Satan has a grip on everything. And although this guy is a Gentile, our, our buddy Legion here, he is still made in God's image. And see how Satan is torturing and destroying this guy. Verse 5, it says, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This guy is disfiguring himself. Wrenching himself out of chains has got to be just horrible. Stuff is breaking and, and tearing apart, I'm sure. And he's living among the dead. Team Satan takes God's image bearers and he tries to defigure them, defile them, and destroy them. We just have another example here that Satan is uh, the Lord of death. He is a murderer. But just like in the previous storm, Jesus has God's saving power and God's authority, right? So something curious happens here. <clears throat> See how in verse 7, Legion tells Jesus to leave him alone. So right, get out of here. I adjure you. But in verse 2, the guy seems irresistibly drawn to him, right? So he's doing his crying and moaning and hitting himself with rocks in the hills. And Jesus comes out of the shore and he comes running down. And in verse, in verse 6, he runs to him and bow down, bows down before him. The guy comes to Jesus as soon as he makes land. There's something spe special happening here. And we see this contrast between uh, Satan's realm and the kingdom of God that Jesus ushers in. Team uh, Satan brings death and destruction and separation, slowly destroying the sky. But Satan can't quite kill this image bearer. He kills the pigs immediately, right? But Jesus has authority over Team Satan. They obey him after getting his permission to go to the pigs, right? What about who Jesus is? In verse 6, the demon-possessed guy calls Jesus the son of the Most High God. See how Jesus' identity is being revealed in all of these scenes. If only the disciples could see quite as clearly as the demons, right? In contrast to Team Satan, Jesus brings peace to the tormented like he did in the previous story. The disciples were tormented by fear, if you recall. 
And who is this guy? Who is Jesus? He brings the kingdom of God and with it restoration, freedom from bondage, calm, peace, beauty, and things are in their right order with him. So as we sort of, you know, kind of see this setting change again, who is this Legion guy? This Legion guy, um, he gets saved. We'll talk about that. Legion is hopeless until he meets the son of the most high God. In verse 6, he fell down before him, but that wasn't worship. That was recognizing authority there. Legion and his demonic passengers recognize who Jesus is. And time has run out for Satan's boys here. Better than the disciples, they know who Jesus is. They know Jesus is the crowned prince of heaven. And a commentator that I that I read indicated that um, you know a military legion is six thousand in number, so um, you know perhaps it was as big as six thousand uh, you know spirits in the sky uh, tearing them up it was certainly enough to move two thousand pigs, um, and I don't know what it takes to do that exactly, but six thousand demons obey Christ. They know who he is, right? He has ultimate authority. So when the demons sort of run off into the Bay of Pigs, there the herdsmen ran to town to report what's going on, right? The townspeople come out to find Legion is a very different man. I'm sure he's a legend in the area, right? In the countryside of Gerasenes or or whatever little... Uh, a town is is close to uh, the shore, and this is a very different guy they find when they come back. The townspeople see what Jesus has done. Jesus changed a man now in his right mind, properly dressed, the storm was gone, and now sits a man transformed by Jesus. Legion was clothed, calm, and a new creature. Legion went from a great storm to a great calm. Now, <clears throat> I suspect he was pretty happy. He was, pretty, he was probably pretty light on his feet at this point, smiling, rejoicing in his salvation. And he offers his life to Jesus in verse 18. The townspeople reject Jesus in verse 17, but... Uh, they, the townspeople, essentially, they recognize who he is. They see that he has authority over the darkness, but hey, that comes with some responsibility, seeing that. And we don't want that guy in our backyard. Everyone in these stories has now been confronted with the knowledge that Jesus is God and see how different they act. Confronted with the fact that Jesus is God, the townspeople don't want to give up their lives. If we acknowledge that Jesus is God, it requires us to do something about it. That fact demands that we fall down and worship him. And it's impossible to do 
if we worship ourselves. We, uh, we did a study back at Berean. It was two ways to live. And it was a study in Mark, right? And we can serve ourselves or we can serve Christ, right? So Legion gives his life to Christ. He said, let me go with you. I'm, uh, let, me, let me join this movement of yours. And we find Legion with more faith than even the disciples. He offers his life to Jesus, and Jesus sends him out to tell people what God has done for him. I find this astounding because these, these guys, so we've got, we've got the flotilla of fear, right? So we've got dozens of followers with Jesus on the water. And have you noticed none of them have been sent out yet? Remember when Jesus uh, chose his apostles, right? He chose the 12. He pulls them out to be with me. You're going to be with me. You're going to learn everything I want you to learn and then be sent out as my ambassadors, right? Well, they're still with him in the boat. Like they haven't been sent out, but yet Legion, he gets, he gets the, uh, he gets the call. He gets sent out, believe it or not. And so, um, he is, uh, he, he will be a witness for Christ. Once he was lost in darkness, but Jesus found him and brought him into a new kingdom to go and tell people of his mercy. Uh, he, Jesus says, go tell your friends. I don't, I don't know if Legion had any family, but imagine uh, his, his friends, maybe even family perhaps, as this really messed up, disgusting, beastly guy comes back dressed for, for Sunday school and in his right mind. Can you imagine what the reunion would look like? No more separation, if you will. Um, so, uh, so, so this is uh, the way I think that we should look at this text. These two, uh, two sort of sides to the same coin, if you will. If I didn't have so much fun with these two points, they really uh, line up. So we've got... Uh, you know, we've got a storm and here we've got a storm and we have Jesus saving power on display. And then we have sort of a new setting as a result of a meeting with, uh, with Jesus. So <clears throat> what do we do with this? We can't, it's not enough just to know that, yeah, yeah, Jesus has got son. We've heard that, right? You need to let Jesus change you, command you, and consume you. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Thank you. This it's good to uh, be with you this morning.